May I add my welcome to those given by my Sam earlier. It's a great joy to be here with you, uh, not least because we are celebrating uh, with uh, Zachary, who's being uh, baptized today, and then a few others who are being confirmed. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to celebrate uh, their journey in faith thus far, but also to commit to pray with them as they continue to explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if uh, you yourself uh, aren't baptized, there's plenty of water. <laughs> and I dipped my finger in it. It is uh, relatively warm. So uh, no worries uh, on, on that front. Uh, but before we um, uh, share and, and reflect a bit on our gospel passage, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world and those who... Walk in you, walk in perpetual light. So may your light shine on us, opening our eyes, our minds, and our lives to serve you and be a sign of hope in the world. In Jesus we pray. Amen. For those of you who are observant, you may have noticed that my pectoral cross uh, is inspired by uh, crosses typically seen in uh, uh, Ethiopia. Now, the cross in itself doesn't come from Ethiopia. It was designed uh, in London. Uh, maybe one day I'll get a proper one from Ethiopia. <laughs> uh, this was a present from some friends uh, when I was consecrated uh, a bishop just uh, nearly a year ago, in fact, a year on Wednesday. Uh, and, uh, and for them, it was a way of reminding me that uh, my African roots are also framed into a story in which a Christian faith is not something that happened uh, just 200 years or so ago when missionaries decided to visit uh, the African continent. But there has been a Christian presence on the African continent right from the beginning. And that story, uh, in many ways, is framed in the story we have heard uh, this morning of uh, the Ethiopian minister, who is also described as as a eunuch. And that in itself frames uh, the context of, uh, of, of, of the arrival of Christianity on the African continent. I mean, some might argue that, in fact, it, it, Christianity, or rather the presence of Christ on the African continent, predated uh, the, uh, the return of the Ethiopian because Christ himself was a refugee uh, in Egypt uh, as, uh, as a child. And so here we've got a story uh, with three characters. An important minister of a kingdom that seems to have good relationship with Israel at the time. We've got Philip, who is one of the deacons of the church. And the third character, which is the Holy Spirit. And each of them, as we pay attention to them, enable us to understand something of uh, the dynamic of faith and the invitation of following Christ. And I'll say a little something about each of them uh, very briefly to help us reflect, uh, particularly holding in mind uh, what gathers us this morning, uh, the worship of Christ, but also the opportunity of engaging in baptism and confirmation. 
So the context in which this story happens is one in which uh, the, the early church uh, is living through a stormy days. There are persecution, or there is persecution that is happening, and first Christians seems to be scattered from Jerusalem and running away and trying to uh, to hide themselves. Uh, if you remember, it's following the, uh, the the murder or the martyrdom of Stephen, uh, who, because of his faith in Christ, had been put to death. And just before that, we hear the story of. Uh, the early church, which is a church that speaks of diversity, a bit like uh, this congregation here today, a church that is made uh, essentially of, of two groups, one which were the, the, the Jewish and the Hebrew Christians, and others who were defined more as, as Gentiles, so who were more uh, Greek-speaking Christians. And out of that community that was diverse, uh, somehow the relationship was not as smooth as it ought to have been. And so when we think of uh, Christian communities experiencing fracture and division, it's not a new thing. Uh, Right from the outset, it has been part of our history. We have always been challenged and always been pressed to create spaces where all could belong uh, on the par, where all could feel uh, as if they were uh, equal members of the body. And the response that the disciples who were then leading the church uh, came up with was to encourage uh, the communities of those who were complaining of being uh, marginalized, uh, not treated as equally and justly as they they ought to, to identify a number of people who would, uh, out of their number, who would then uh, commit to be attentive to their needs. And they were called deacons uh, because the expectation was in some ways that they would be the ones serving uh, at the table uh, and making sure that nobody uh, from around that community would be left out and everyone's needs would be attended to. And perhaps a reminder that over the years, the commitment of the church or the vocation of the church is to be a community in which everyone's needs are seen and everyone's needs are attended to. And so as a church, we then become actively aware of the needs that are around us, but also seeking around our communities those very people that we want to encourage uh, to be our eyes, to be our ears, to be our hands and reach out and attend to the needs uh, of God's people. And And as such, we build a community that holds together, a community where no one is invisible, but all are seen, all are heard. And Philip is one of those. Philip uh, is a deacon whose task is to uh, serve and be attentive to the needs of the early Christian community. But what we hear about Philip, as is described in, uh, uh, in, in the book of Acts, is that we never see him somehow busy serving soup and bread, but instead he's committed to preach the gospel. And I wonder whether that is perhaps what is meant, that Philip wasn't just uh, a deacon whose task was to to feed people with with actual food, but actually with the word of God, uh, giving them the resources that will enable them to live lives that are full and complete. And so we see him uh, in in Samaria, again, an area that sits very much on the margins uh, of the life of the people of Israel. 
And there he preaches the gospel in a way that seems to stir the hearts of many and draw them to Christ. Uh, perhaps we need a few Philips nowadays, people who are committed to step into those spaces that may not be necessarily the most hospitable spaces uh, to hear and proclaim the gospel, and yet do so with such grace, with such compelling uh, a force that many are drawn to, to God and many are, do, are drawn to Christ. And in, in many ways, as we are uh, hearing, that we'll be hearing the testimony of others uh, later on sharing about their journey of faith, we recognize that it has taken the commitment of sisters and brothers in faith who have shared with them something of their hope in God and their hope in Christ, drawing them into the story of faith in Jesus and indeed, uh, all of us, in many ways, as we state our faith in Christ, we recognize that somebody has nurtured us. Somebody has been attentive to our need. Someone has invested time, resources, and energy to speak with us some of the words of hope and the words of faith that have birthed faith within us and enabled that faith to grow. And perhaps an invitation for each of us to become attentive to our task and our responsibility to become like Philip, a gossiper of the gospel, uh, offering something of the hope we have in Christ to the world around us. And Philip, then stirred by the Holy Spirit, arrives, uh, uh, or is tasked to go onto the route, uh, a road that leads from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. And on that route, he encounters uh, somebody who is sat in their chariot reading aloud the words of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. And in our version uh, of the Bible, it is chapter 53, and I would encourage you to go and, and read that back home. And a prophecy of Isaiah that speaks of a character who seems to be uh, marginalized, a character who seems to be fragile, and yet a character... Uh, who suddenly becomes the source and, uh, the, uh, and, and the holder of a new story, uh, the key to a new expression of God's life and God's love into the world. And I imagine for a moment, as he reads this word, recognizing something of his own state, his own story, his own life, and as you probably uh, remember, eunuchs uh, who existed in, in most of our ancient uh, societies were uh, people whose bodies were violated, uh, were broken down uh, uh, in order to dedicate their lives fully to the service of, of the rulers of, of the time. And so that uh, servant of the, the queen of, of Ethiopia in many ways had experienced what it meant for his whole life to be taken away and drawn into the service of somebody else. His uh, sense of agency and freedom was uh, taken away from him. And his whole life uh, was determined and defined by others' needs and others' priorities uh, and, and others' uh, requests. A man whose experience of life was very much a marginalized one. 
we are told that he was traveling from Jerusalem where he, where, where he had gone to worship. But we also know that he could not have entered or have access to all parts of the temple because of his very condition. Being a eunuch, there were parts of the temple that were not accessible to him because in many ways he was seen as, uh, as impure, as not a complete uh, human being worthy of entering uh, uh, the holiest of spaces uh, with everyone. So someone who was probably accustomed to live a life of marginality, of exclusion. And as you read these words of Isaiah speaking and depicting one who is marginalized as well, but who somehow becomes the frame and the center of a new perspective, I wonder whether he is seeing a mirror of his own life and perhaps an aspiration of his own dreams to live a life where the fullness of his being is recognized and acknowledged, where agency is given to him, where he becomes the frame of a new story, the gate to a new way of being. And he's troubled, perhaps. He reads out loud. I don't know whether he's been repeating this reading word after word, and somehow Philip, who's walking by, uh, is attracted to him and goes, approaches him and asks him, do you understand what you are reading? My 10-year-old daughter has uh, made the commitment to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. Uh, I was really proud of her. And so she came to me one morning, and uh, I was still in bed, and she sits next to me, and she says, the Bible is weird. (laughs) So I ask her, what do you mean? And so she tells me some of the things that she's reading and is not able to understand. And so we spend a bit of time trying to make sense of the weirdness of the Bible. And yes, it is true that uh, when you don't have all the keys to understand uh, everything about the Bible, it is a weird book to read. And yet it is a book that makes sense once you are given the key to unlock it. Uh, Once you're given uh, new lenses, a new perspective in order to understand the words and enable those words to leap out of the page and somehow become not just word, but life. And so Philip uh, is invited to join uh, the, um, uh, the, the Ethiopian minister in his chariot. And Philip gives him the key to unlock the meaning of uh, what he was reading. And he tells him about Jesus and how Jesus, uh, a bit like him, was marginalized, was brutalized, uh, was even put to death. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, somehow a new perspective on God was given to all who would dare uh, approach and be inquisitive about, uh, about who Jesus is and the difference that Jesus makes in one's life. And as that uh, Ethiopian minister hears that story, he is stirred because he recognizes an echo of his own life, an aspiration of his own story, a desire to live a life that is also expansive, a life that is free, a life that is full, one that does not restrict him to a status that is defined by the story in which he's been squeezed probably from a very young age. He hears words that somehow enable him to rethink his 
whole life story from a very different perspective. He sees a new avenue to retell his story, to relate to the world. He sees that suddenly he does not need uh, to be confined in particular spaces around the temple in Jerusalem, but somehow God in Jesus has become immediate, near him, approachable, accessible, and somehow his heart is stirred into life and he's drawn uh, deeper into that desire to connect with Jesus. And as they journey, he walks, uh, they, they pass alongside water and he desires to be baptized, uh, uh, urging Philip to stop and baptize him. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian He's then taken away, and he carries on his journey, and we're told rejoicing. Now, I mentioned to you that uh, what he was reading was chapter 53 of Isaiah. And if you read the beginning of, of the next chapter in Isaiah, it starts with the words, Rejoice, you barren. And if you know uh, the life of a eunuch, it, it's, it's a life that, that was framed in barrenness. There was no life that could have emerged out of that life because the, the resources for him uh, to make children and to produce life had been taken away. Rejoice, O barren. Somehow the words of Isaiah resonate with uh, a reality, an immediacy, and a power in his life. 2,000 years on, there is a vibrant Christian presence in Ethiopia on the African continent. And I suspect, I would love to, to dream that this is some of the life that had emerged out of this individual whose society has cast as barren, as fruitless, as uh, insignificant and marginalized. And yet, in his opening and encounter with Christ, his whole life was transformed and he became the gateway to a new expression of relationship, to a new society, to a new way of being. And finally, uh, a third character in that story, the Holy Spirit, who acts as the connector, the bridge between individuals, between stories that were uh, scattered in different contexts and drawing them together. The Holy Spirit... Uh, which becomes the bond that binds us together, which becomes uh, the key that uh, opens us uh, into Christ and into God. And the Holy Spirit, which is not uh, just limited to uh, one context in time and, and history and space, but the Holy Spirit, which is the active force of God, stirring our lives and whispering words of life, of wisdom, and intuiting us to live lives deeply open and deeply alive to the reality around us. And my encouragement to those of you who are being baptized and confirmed today is to hold on to the wisdom that you have received from those who have journeyed with you, those who have encouraged you to start to love Jesus and open yourself to Jesus, uh, but also uh, to open yourself to to God through the Holy Spirit who will continue to stir things in you. 
uh, whispering something of the mind of God and inviting you to enter into a God's story, into God's life. And it is a story that connects us to each other in a way that enables a new way of relating, that enables healing. Uh, in our reading of Roman, Paul's talks to the Romans about salvation. In fact, the word that he uses uh, can be the same word that we use for healing, or in other words, the fullness of one's being. And the Holy Spirit takes us into a place where we are enabled to become the fuller version, the fuller expression of who we are. And when we are full and complete people, then we become an easy channel through which God can bless the world, transform the barrenness of our lives into places that are fertile, full of life, full of opportunities. 2,000 years ago, an Ethiopian eunuch opened himself to the transforming and life-affirming force of God and the Holy Spirit, and through him, life abundant emerged out of his community. And I wonder what impact would our response and our opening to God's Spirit might do 2,000 years from now. Now, my prayer is that every day we open ourselves to a God who is committed to enter into our stories in order to transform them. A God who is committed to bring us from a place of brokenness, of marginality and fracture into a place of healing. But also a God who believes in us so much that he trusts and entrusts us with the task of reaching out to the world with the simple yet life-transforming message of a God who loves us so much, loves the world so much that he calls it into uh, a new relationship, into a new uh, dimension. And so, Spirit of God, enter our mind, enter our lives. Release us into a fullness of life, your fullness of life that like Philip, we may become witnesses, interpreters of your life, transforming, healing, and restoring. In Jesus we pray. Amen.